it's just awesome. Like, I, I love the difference. I love the food afterwards. Um, yeah, it's, just a, it's just a good Sunday. Um, it, yeah, my, my heart needed today. I just have really struggled to get into um, the spirit of Christmas with just all the distractions and being sick last week and things too. So um, I'm going to start today a little different since we're on a different day. And rather than starting in prayer, before I pray and we dive into the Word, I'm going to ask you guys to do something. Last week I mentioned this, that all, every person who's ever existed filters their existence through these two questions. What do I think about God? And what do I think about what He thinks of me? Every person who's ever lived, whether, whether they deny His existence or not, asks those two questions. What do I think about God? And what do I think about what He thinks of me? Everything that the, in their life that they experience is filtered through that, even though most of the people who live don't even think in that context. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to trust me. It's not going to get too weird. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. So everybody close your eyes. And imagine entering into the presence of God. Whether that be because His second advent comes and we are with Him, or that be because He takes you home, or that be because you just have a sweet time with Him in your devotion. What do you see? With your eyes closed and you're just thinking in this quiet, what do you see? Do you see the image of Isaiah, that Isaiah saw? Of the throne of God and the, and the, and the angels soar, flying around? Maybe what you see, keep your eyes closed, maybe what you see is like the woman who comes in when Jesus is with the Pharisee and she presses her face into his feet and she cleans his feet with her tears. Do you see him as demanding or as accepting? Do you believe he is excited to see you? Do you think you're going to hear the words, well done, well done? And if you do, do you think it's because of something you did? Or because of what he's done for you and what he's doing through you? Maybe you're sitting here today and your eyes are closed and you're, and you're thinking, you know what, I have whether for my whole life or just recently been pushing Him away. Here's the beautiful news. He doesn't push back. He pursues. When we turn from Him, He turns to us. He doesn't dismiss us. He pursues us. He doesn't demand that we do because He did. But what you feel in that moment, what you feel when you're picturing yourself in the presence of God, flavors everything about us. And everything about how we relate to one another. Here is His heart for you. 600 years before Christ came the first time, He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you 
with loving kindness. That's our God's heart. He pursues us. That's what His love is about. Would you do me a favor and just open your eyes and stand with me as I pray? And if you feel led, raise your hands. Like a kid who's accepting his father's love, who's looking up at his father saying, I love you, hold me. Pray with me as I pray. Father, we come before you the only way any of us can. And that's through the love that is displayed at the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank you that your love is an everlasting love. That your drawing is in loving kindness. I thank you for the truth that your love for me does not depend on me. Like the love of an earthly father who loves his kids, who wants to pick them up and hold them in his arms. That is your love for us. You don't stiff arm your children. Some of us didn't have that experience with our earthly fathers, but we can have it with you. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth that you are a father who loves us and wants to hold us. That you're a father who cares for us and provides for us. That you're a father who will move heaven and earth to save us. Even when we don't know we need saving. So Lord, now as we worship you by opening up your word, I pray that the spirit of the living God would open our eyes and our ears and most of all the spiritual eyes of our hearts to behold the love you have for us, that it would compel us to love one another. In Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Please have a seat and grab your Bibles. We are in a series called Prepare for Arrival. And last week we looked at how a prepared people are a people of peace. This week we're looking at how a prepared people are love displaying. And the question I'm going to ask today is how can you better display the love of Christ? How can you better display the love of Christ? And I'm going to use the third chapter of John's first letter, 1 John chapter 3, to answer that question. So open up your Bibles towards the very end of your Bible. It's, it's to the left of where we have been for months in Revelation. It's just to the left of that, a, a couple of books, and it's first, yeah, first, second, and third John. We're going to be in first John chapter three and in verse one, and we're going to look at how the short answer is that we're going to see today is we need to live in his love. We need to love what he loves, and we need to let our lives be loving proof. That's how we can get better at displaying the love of Christ. Guys, if all I do is walk, is all I do is I teach a message today about how to love well, you walk out of here and you might, you might come up with a few um, ideas, like the Johnson's beautiful idea of how to celebrate Advent better, right? And you might walk out of here and go, that's a great thing I can grab onto, and we need those things, but it will be short-lived. If what we try to do is just get better at doing love, 
doing loving things without knowing from where and why we are to do those things, it doesn't last very long. And what we talk about here at Cornerstone a lot isn't so much the behavior, but the motivation behind it. So the, that's where John starts in this chapter of, John, of 1 John 3. We must live in his love. Look at what he says in the first, in the first verse. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The last part of that verse is saying, guys, the, the world doesn't know us as children of God because it doesn't know. It, it, we, we are distinctly different and frankly are, are quite odd because we are at odds with the world's ways. And if that doesn't define your life, we've talked about that a little bit even in the last couple of weeks, then, then ask yourself the question, am I really displaying that I am a child of God? But where I really want to focus is in the first part of that verse, because, I mean, do, do we think of God in this language? You are a child of God. He doesn't say you might be. He says if you're in Christ, you are. Guys, you are brothers and sisters with Christ Jesus, not just with one another. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You can do a whole message just on this one verse and not get to the end of it in the 30 minutes that you got. The depth of the beauty of just this idea that we are children of God. Part of our struggle in that is that we, many of us maybe didn't grow up in homes where we felt loved as children. So to see God as a loving father is a hard thing for us to see. But he is. And I'm, I've been praying all week that we would walk out of here, if, if nothing else, we would walk out of here really embracing the depth of his love for us. Like that, that he just loves us. And it's not because of something you did or didn't do. It's because it's who he is. When he says see, that word there, it really is, it's the word edon in Greek. It means behold. And it's in the imperative. So, so John is saying, behold the love of Christ. Look at it. Don't doubt it. Fixate on it. Don't turn your eyes from it. Keep focused on it all the time. Behold the love of God. He's saying, and this is what love, the love of God is. It is, but he has given to us, bestowed upon us. It's, it's the Greek word for gift. He has given us a gift. And that gift is that we're called his children. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Guys, we are children of the living God, and we've got to embrace that every day of our lives, not just on Sundays and not just at Christmas. Look at verse 2. It says, Beloved, now we, are, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears at his second advent, at his second coming, we will be like him because we will see him like, just like he is. Guys, his love is a transforming love. Right now, he's in the process, and we, and we spent a lot of time here at Cornerstone talking about that, that what he's interested in, the win for God is our Christ-likeness. is for us to enter into glory looking as much like Christ as possible until he makes us look exactly like Christ when he returns. That's the win. It is an eternal love. 
It's going to last forever and ever for those of us that are in Christ. But guys, get this. Understand this. God does not love some future version of who you are. God is not sitting there going, you guys, this was, I spent the first half of my 50 years denying his existence, and I've spent the second half of my 50 years denying his love for me, thinking that I need to earn it, thinking that if I do good, he loves me more, and if I do bad, he loves me less. Is he interested in my behavior? Absolutely. But, it is un, but his love is unconditional. He is not a father that puts me in a room somewhere when I behave poorly. He sits me on his lap and he teaches me to behave better. Guys, he is not waiting for you to clean up your act so that he will love you. He did not come for the perfect you. He will make you perfect. He came for the messed up you. Because we're all a mess. We are all a mess. Guys, you sit, you, some of you are sitting here and, and you're saying, and we heard testimony even last week, and you're going, yeah, but Doug, you talk like that, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. Guys, one of the reasons that I, that I, that I, I don't, I, criticism is hard for me. I mean, it is. I'm a prideful person and, and I struggle. But the, one of the reasons is because when I get criticized, I realize, you know what, if you really knew me, you'd get, you would recognize that I'm way worse than that. Like, the, you, like, your opinion to me is, might, might not be fully accurate, but, but the reality is far worse. And yet, God knows all of that. God knows you fully and loves you deeply. There is nobody who's ever lived who knows you better than Jesus Christ, and nobody who's ever lived who loves you more than Jesus Christ. That all by itself blows my brain. It just blows it up. It just does. Because I don't, I don't live that way. Frankly, the more I get to know some of you, the less, the more I struggle to love you, and vice versa, right? So, some of the reason people leave Cornerstone is because they get to know the real me, and they're like, you know what? You're a sinner just like the rest of us, and I'm like, yeah, I am. I was meeting with a couple of brothers yesterday morning, and I said, you know, one of the big issues in the church, or one of the things we get accused of in the church, not just Cornerstone, but in the church generally, is Christians are full of a bunch of, are full of, a bunch of hypocrites. Churches are full of hypocrites. Absolutely. And I look at those people, and I say, and so are you, so why don't you come join us, because you'll fit right in. Because we're not perfect people. Guys, have you ever read your Bible? If, if you're sitting here going, God cannot possibly love me because he doesn't know, because he, he knows the real me. Because you haven't read your Bible. Because look at the great men of faith. Abraham prostituted his wife out, to keep it family friendly, that's as much as I'm going to say about it, because he was trying to protect himself. Rahab, who's in the Bible and in the lineage of Christ, was a prostitute herself. Guys, Peter denies Jesus three times to his face and the last time uses some really inappropriate language to do it. The Apostle Peter. Paul was murdering Christians before he became the man who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. These are not... Guys, most of these people would not be allowed into our church. They're in the Bible. They're God's biggies. I take great comfort in that. So should you. Guys, as if to prove the point, 
in the season that we're in, the genealogies of Jesus' birth, to walk God's story from, from the beginning in Genesis all the way through to his first advent and coming, there are these genealogies in Matthew and Luke. And, and he lists these genealogies. Now, now get this. It's like God is just trying to prove that he loves our mess, the messed up us. Look at what he said. In, in, in Matthew 1.6, he says this. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon. He could just stop there. And move on. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. But he doesn't. He says, who, by the way, was by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah, in case you forget, God is saying, in case you've forgotten, Solomon, in the lineage of Christ, was a, was a baby born out of adultery. And oh, by the way, murder. Why? Why does he do that? Because God's love for David had nothing to do with David. Guys, the answer is his love for me, his love for you has nothing to do with us. Praise God. Praise God. He loves you intimately. He loves the messed up version of you. He loves you now. He will love you forever. He'll love you to the end. That's the reality. The cross is living proof. The cross is, if you doubt that, guys, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a giant exclamation point on God's story saying, I love you. And it ain't about you. Our lives should be living proof as well, which brings us to the third verse, and I have to pick up the pace a little bit. It says, and everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What he's saying there basically is he's saying he lives in purity. He works to demonstrate the, that he is different because the love of Christ has changed him. I'm, I'm gonna, the, the rest of, the, of, our, of our passage today is going to elaborate on that, so I'm not going to hear other than to say that, that the cross dealt with, gives us the power to live in purity and deals with are issues when we fail to live in purity. So how can we better display the love of Christ? First, we have to live in his love. Second, we have to love what he loves. Look at the next three verses. It says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one abides, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen, and no one who sins has seen him or known him. Now, guys, you could pull that out and you could say, oh, wait a minute. You're telling me that Christians don't sin. John did not mean that. I'll tell you more about that, but how do we know John did not mean that? Just turn your, your, turn your Bible a, a page or two to the left to 1 John 1 8. He's speaking to the same audience. So don't read into this, anyone who loves him does not sin, as, oh, wait a second. That means that as a Christian, we're not sinner, we don't sin? No, look at what he says. Same audience, in the beginning of the letter, he's reminding them, as believers, here's what we need to do. Verse 8 of chapter 1. If, you, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Guys, he's not talking about unbelievers, he's talking about believers. If we confess our sins, if we're constantly in the process of confessing before the Lord how we have failed, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John is not saying that we, are not, we don't sin as Christians. So what is he saying? His point is really simple and clear. 
He's saying who you are connected to absolutely impacts what you do. Who you are connected to absolutely informs your life. It's the filter you, you, you run everything through and transforms your life. And he's going to unpack that as we move along. He's describing the battle of flesh and the spirit, which is, which is laid out in the New Testament a lot. I mean, Paul writes about that probably almost as much as anything because it was his own battle in his own life. In Romans chapter 7, in the middle of his gospel message, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, in chapter 7, Paul stops and he goes, Oh, wretched man that I am. Not that I was, that I am. Who will save me from the body of sin and death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. In Galatians, he says the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are, and he lists all of these things, everything from the lust issues to mostly it's about anger and jealousy and strife and gossip. And then he says, but, that's a great but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. He's saying when you walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's ultimately what John is referring to here but guys, get this. When we did our, when we did our, when you're in the presence of God moment a minute ago, how did you feel? Were you thinking, oh man, I better, you know, I need, it's time for me to get serious about God. It's time for me to clean up my life. It's time for me to, you know what, I'm going to really focus between now and Christmas on being in the Word. I'm, if, it's, if you started with I, you're in the wrong spot. Right? If, if what you're saying is He, he is inviting me to come sit in his lap that I might in his presence be conformed into his image. Because he knows the best of you. He does not wait to love a better version of you. He came as a baby. He lived a life as a man. He died a death he did not deserve for the messed up you. Guys, get that. He knows you're a mess. And he says, I love you. That's why I came. Look at what he says in verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he who is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. He is just driving home this point that your behavior proves whose you are. Not who you are. Your behavior proves whose you are. He's saying if your life is mostly reflected in a life of practicing sin, you're of the flesh, which is controlled by Satan. If your life is mostly reflecting practicing Christ-likeness, you are of Christ. It's not perfection. It's practice. But guys, we cannot walk out of here today going, I need, okay, so I need to stop. I need to stop doing that. Remember, we've talked about this a lot. Repentance is not just, okay, I need to stop looking at that stuff on the internet. I need to stop whatever it is. I need to stop smoking. I need to stop. Repentance is recognizing that, claiming his grace in that, and then, and then claiming his power to replace that. Repentance is about Get rid of it and replace it with him. We, we, we tend to just sit over here 
and, and stay in this cycle because we're not walking over here going, I need to replace it with him. I need to replace it with what is good and right and lovely and pure. So then we find ourselves right back there much faster. Right? That, that's the struggle we all are in, the struggle of constantly fighting, out our fl- fighting with our flesh. I've talked about that already this morning. But the, the, the real long-term victory is found in walking in the truth of who he is. But guys, in order for us to do that, love must be a person. It has to be a noun before it can be a verb. Before we can act loving, we have to know love. And that love is the person Jesus Christ. Right? We, we, we try to, we, I try so, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Here we go. No. I just need to know Christ better. So don't walk out of here today going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more. I'm going to earn his love for me. Just walk out of here going, you know what? I want to experience his love for me. And watch what that does to your sin struggles. Watch what that does to how you lovingly interact with your spouse and your children and your coworkers and your school classmates and, and everything else. Don't walk out of here today to commit to not sinning. Walk out of here today to just say, you know what? I'm going to embrace love in a different way. So today's question, how can you better display the love of Christ? We, have to, we need to live in his love. We need to love what he loves. We need to let your life be loving proof. Let your life be loving proof. Look at the last two verses of our passage. He's just continuing the thought. He's, he's driving this point home. He says, no one who is born of God practices sin because he abides in him, because his, because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Because verse 9 is a transition from what we were just talking about, about how whose you are is reflected in how you behave. I want to really focus on verse 10 when he says, by this, by what? By this, something happens. By this, you are either known for what? You're either known for being a child of God or a child of Satan. So, so what, man, is that's, a, that's a big, that, I mean, to me, I'm like, whoa, you, you see that. I, by this, I'm known as either his or, or the enemy's. Then I really want to know what the, this is, Right? I mean, I want to know. I, I want, and, and when we, Lord willing, after we get through walking into the new year with Christ, we're going to start a series in the book of James that'll take us into the summer, actually. And we're going to look at how do we know we're his. Because the book of James gives you a lot of evidence of that. But right now, I'm looking and I'm, I'm saying, what, what is John telling us? By this, I know I'm either of God or of Satan's. And he says this, that you practice righteousness and that you love your brother. Or the way John puts it is in the negative. He says, how do you know whose you are? By not loving what God loves. Because God loves righteousness. So those that don't practice righteousness, John says, aren't, aren't evidencing that they are of God. And, oh, by the way, by not loving others. He says, and those that do not love his brother. Guys, let me just bottom line it for you. This whole, this whole idea of love and relationship, whether it be this relationship or this relationship. Guys, the, the bottom line is we have a broken view of love displaying relationships, whether they be vertical or horizontal, because we have a broken view of God. 
Because of what I've been talking about for the last 25 minutes. Because we believe, guys, we, why, why do we believe God is a scorekeeper? Why do we believe that? I mean, that's what religion teaches, right? That's why I love the first verse that we just covered. First John 3, 1, right? You are, behold, you are children of God. There's no religion there. There's no, if you do these things, there's no, okay, but you need to, you need to check these boxes. There's just like, you just are. You are because he said you are. I am who I am because the great I am says that I am. That's it. Right? But guys, why do we, why do we struggle to live in that reality? Why do we go, okay, okay, yeah, I, I get that, Pastor. I get that, Pastor. But you know what? I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better for Jesus. Why do we think Jesus is a scorekeeper? Here's the answer. Because we are. Because we are. And if you're sitting here right now going, you know, I'm not a scorekeeper as it, as it relates to how I extend love to people, I would start with that whole confession thing right over there. Because we all are. We are. Guys, it, it may be with the person you're sitting next to. Maybe with the person that you're sitting across from. It may be the person that cuts you off on the freeway. It might be a co-worker. But guys, what, what do we do? We, we sit back and we... And, subconsciously most of the time, and we respond in love, both in stepping into love received and in giving love out, we respond to it based on, do they deserve it? And I'm going to wait for them to earn it. But that's not what God did with us. Praise the Lord. That is, not, that is exactly the opposite of what God did to us. He, if he sat back and waited for me to deserve it, when would I get saved? Never. If he, if, he, if he waited for me to earn his being deeply graced of God, like Mary, beloved of God, just, just a grace gift for no reason. If he waited for me to earn it, when would I earn it? Never. Guys, this gospel that goes out there that says, you know what, if you're just really obedient, God will bless, is not the gospel. Guys, the reason God, the reason you feel blessed when you're in obedience to God, when you're walking in his way, is because that's where God is. God is in his way. So when you're walking in his way, you are walking with God and you feel the blessing of God. He doesn't go, you know what, I have this blessing over here and if you would, and if you would just behave a certain way, then I would give you that present. No, he's just saying, just start, just start walking with me and you're going to see these presents showing up along the way. But guys, we're not we don't feel like we're loved by God based on our circumstance. We can't, we can't live our lives that way. I cannot live my life going, when, when my life is going well, when my marriage is good, and my kids are, are, are walking with the Lord and the church is doing fine, then God obviously loves me. And when all those things are a little rattled, then God obviously doesn't love me. Guys, that is, there's no gospel there. None. Now I say that, but... but it's unnerving to many of us because we feel like we're giving license to no behavior just does not matter. Wait a minute, what you're saying is I don't have, no, but you, wanna, you want to behave the way God wants you to behave out of an overflow of his love for you because that's where you experience him. So behavior matter, does matter, yeah, but not in some moralistic way. And yet most of us have lived under this sort of moralistic teaching. And there just is no gospel there. There's no good news there. That's just all people. 
That's just all man-centered gospel. Do good, he loves you. Don't do good, he's going to get you. Because I want to tell you a story in the, in the time I don't have left about radical love. Because it's just worth the time. There was a woman in her community who was caught in adultery. Right? She was having relationship with a man who was not her husband. And the people in that community dragged her out before the judge. And what the penalty in that community was, was death for adultery. It's still that way in some parts of the world. So they brought him before the judge and they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We need to stone her. And that judge said, you know what? Let me write some stuff down. So he starts writing some things down. And whether it was the names of the people around him or, the, or just general sins in life, or we don't really know what he was writing. But one by one, those people that wanted to throw the stones walked away because they realized, you know what? I have no right to throw a stone. Now get this, though. Here's the key to telling the story. In chapter 8 of John, he says this. Jesus, after all the people leave, it says, Jesus stood up and said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because how is that radical love? Because here's how that, here's how, get, get, the ver, get the sequence of that last part. I do not condemn you. Now go and live. He doesn't say, stop sinning, woman, and I will not condemn you. Because that's what we do to people. Stop behaving the way I don't like, and I will love you. Jesus is just the opposite of this woman. He says, I don't condemn you. I love you. Now, in the power of that love, go stop sinning. That is so different than how we relate to one another. And it's because it's, it's, and our struggle in that is because it's different than how we think God relates to us. She was way, there, there was one person there who had the right to throw the stone and he didn't. But we throw stones all the time. By, oh wait, I don't, I don't throw any stones, Pastor Doug. Because every time we wait for someone to deserve love extended, to earn love given, we are casting stones. When what he could be doing is writing down, our, he goes, yeah, but Doug, I know what you did. Guys, when I, have to, when, I, when I have to extend love to someone that I, in my flesh, I don't feel like deserves it, the greatest secret I have for doing that is remembering how many things I have wronged Christ in today. And he loves me anyway. Because if you're sitting here today and you're struggling to extend love to the people around you, whoever those people are, ask yourself this question. Is the thing that is stopping you the fact that you don't think they deserve it? They've earned it. And then say, okay, but how have I? The world and our flesh say, I'll love you if you deserve it. But guys, get this. Christian love says this. I am, high, I am highly favored of God 
richly blessed by the Lord, graced of God, deeply loved by the Father. Therefore, I shall love the people in my life selflessly and deeply. Guys, our love is a gospel-calibrated love. It's, it's, it's filtered through his love for us, which is unearned, and it should go out to other people unearned, undeserved. I'm going to have the lights come down as we respond to the gospel in communion. And I'm, I'm going to go through a couple of things that I want to ask you to just think about as we, as we come to his table. What does his love ask of you? What does his love ask of you? The world says, love for the purpose of self. In other words, love so you get something in return. The gospel says, love at the expense of self. The world says, what can I gain from you? I'll love you if I see some potential return on my investment. The gospel says, what can I give to you and get nothing in return? The world says, what can you do for me? The gospel says, what can I do for you? The world pursues love for the fulfillment of self and is left empty. Christians pursue love at the expense of self and are made full. So how do we love well? By knowing that we are well loved and by just as an overflow of that love, letting that overflow out of us into our relationships with other people. Pray with me as I pray. Father, I thank you for the truth that your love for us is not dependent on us. I thank you for the cross that demonstrates that. I thank you for the reality that if you, if you had waited for me to earn it, you would not love. But you don't only, your love for us isn't, isn't just a barely kind of maybe today I'll love you. It is an overwhelming, radical, all-consuming, no matter what, everlasting love. Because that has nothing to do with us. That is so hard for me to believe. And because it's so hard for us to believe, it's so hard for us to put into practice with other people. But today we have great opportunity to turn that around, to, to, to live through a filter of gospel. To say that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because you, your love is full of your grace. And because we have tasted and seen that you are good, Lord, I pray that we would share that goodness. Because the more, frankly, the more I give your love away to other people, especially people that my flesh feel like don't deserve it, the more I experience your love for me. So help us to be those people that, that, that step into your love received, that we, that we stop listening to the lie of the enemy that somehow we're not worthy, because we're not. 
It's okay. You're right now, you're in heaven at the right hand of God as the enemy is bringing lies and you're tearing them up and saying, what else you got? I paid for that. What else you got? I paid for that one too. Is that all you got? I paid for that. The devil is running out of paper. Lord, I, I, because your love will never, it just won't run dry. Your forgiveness is, not, is, is unending. So may that compel us as, as your people to, to step in to that love received and then to extend that love to others. In Jesus' name, amen.